wife and mother, Jessica Fow, bravely spoke out on this podcast about her struggles with addiction before going back to prison. So it was really hard for me to take when I found out that I was going back. I was told that basically if the judicial system was all about rehabilitation, it would have been okay that I needed to be punished. And But why? So I can fail when I get back out? Do you think you will fail because you have to go back? I really hope not. Now, in this latest episode of Grieving Out Loud, we're about to find out what happened to Jessica in prison and once she got out. The last time we spoke with Jessica Fow was in December of 2019. If you want to listen to that podcast, it's episode 17 on this podcast, Grieving Out Loud. We spoke with Jessica just days before she went to prison after overdosing and literally dying and being brought back by Narcan. Jessica had violated some terms of her probation and had to serve her prison sentence. She joins me now to talk about what that was like for her and what life has been like since she was released. First of all, Jessica, thank you so much for joining me again. Thanks for having me here. I really enjoy it. I want to say congratulations on your recovery, your sobriety for two years now. Yep, a little over two years. A little over mm-hmm. two years. Yeah. Wow, that's wonderful. I know life has not been easy. I know prison is not easy. So what has kept you this? Is this the longest? We, when we first talked, you told me that the addiction really started for you, or maybe you'd always had this addictive personality, but it was after gastric bypass surgery in 2011. Yes. And you had progressed from the pain pills to alcohol, eventually to heroin. And in fact, that is the reason for your overdose was the heroin laced with fentanyl yes. right, right before you went to prison for a second time. Correct? That is correct. Yep. So is this the longest you have been in recovery since 2011? It's close. There was a period um, when Sam was really young, but it wasn't quite this long. Actually, it is the longest because thinking back, it wasn't quite two years that I made it right after he was. So that's something to be really proud of. Thank you. Thank you. It's not easy, um, but I think it's easier than the other life was, even on the hardest days. And it took me a long time to figure that out. But I feel pretty confident about my sobriety today, and I hope that I continue to do what I need to do to keep it. What is helping you? What is keeping you? Have you been using medically assisted treatment? I mean, what works for you? I don't use medically assisted treatment. I have nothing against it. I have the type of personality that can addict to Advil, though, and I'm afraid I would find a way to abuse it, so it's just safer for me. Uh, The biggest thing that's helped me, uh, God, my family, um, not wanting to ever go back to prison again, not wanting to go through this again, not wanting to hurt myself or others. But definitely God, my church, and my family are the biggest things that have helped me. How old is Sam now? He's four. He's four yeah, years old. Yeah, he turned old. four at the end of January. Yeah. <laughs> and a handful. He's Oh, he is a huge handful right now. And um, a lot, you know, in the beginning, I always thought it was just me. Like, he's doing this because I left. He's doing this because he's punishing me. And a lot of the stuff he's doing, he does at his dad's house, too. But there are different moments that he has to where it's obviously a punishment for mommy. He'll, like my husband, he'll choose to go with Greg over mommy to hurt me. And you can see it in his eyes and the defiance. And he Because knows. you were gone. Mm-hmm. You were gone in prison. And he knows now. We told him I was in school while I was away. Um, but now, I can't remember, maybe six months ago, we were driving by the county jail. And he said, mommy, is that your school? And I thought, well, who told him that? And 
it's not that we were going to hide it from him. I just wanted He's him to be young. a little older. He's yep. awfully young. Yeah. So then we talked about it a little bit more, and that's kind of when everybody's history came out. His dad's, mine, my husband's. Um, and I think it's hurt him a lot that I wasn't there. He's changed a lot. And um, I don't know who he is some days anymore, I feel. And I do. And I think it's some of that's in my head. But he's definitely a different child than the one I left. How long have you been out of prison? Ten months almost. Ten months. Uh, nine, let me think. And you were there for six, seven months? Eight. Eight. Mm-hmm. Eight months. Almost okay. eight. Um, we are here to talk about that experience of going to prison. Um, one of the things that struck me was that you, you said one of the things that has helped keep you in recovery is the fear of going back, which I think is really like the purpose, right? I mean, it, but it's the thing that's always hanging over your head. You know, you could you could go to prison if you violated your probation your parole, you went to prison shortly. Now you don't want to go back, so you're staying in recovery. I'm playing devil's advocate here a little bit, but that's what someone would say would be effective. Use of prison. It can be effective, and I do agree. I mean, I'm not saying that it can't, but what prison did also while I was away was, you know, all but ruined my life that I have out here. Oh, ruin uh, your life. I almost lost everything this time when I went to prison. I almost lost my husband. Um, I wouldn't have a place to live. I wouldn't have the means to take care of my son. You know, everything changed while I was away this time. And why, uh, why is that? Do you think, Jessica? Why? Why do you feel like you know you came back to almost nothing because your relationships were so destroyed by your absence? They were completely destroyed. Um, I don't think that my husband and I realized how bad it was until I was away for a little while and we had time to process things on our own. Uh, I don't... What do you do when your wife goes to prison three times in your short marriage because she just can't stop using drugs and choosing that over her family? And I mean, I never thought of it as how he feels. And Well, most people who are suffering from substance use disorder are not thinking about how other people feel. <laughs> I agree completely. We don't care about anybody else, we don't, you know, at so, all. So, you know, that's part of the disease of the brain. The, mm-hmm. the addiction takes over the brain. And, and, and you, I think there's a narcissism to it, too, right? Mm-hmm. So you're just not thinking about how your actions or what you're doing affects other people because you're so driven to use. Yeah, that's the only thing that, I mean, it occupies probably 90% of your mind. And you don't have the capacity to think about, you know, anybody else or what they're dealing with because what you're doing is a full-time job in addition to trying to lie to everybody and, you know, everything that comes with it. Uh-huh. So. I want to get back to those relationships in a moment, but first I want to talk about your experience in prison. When you went this time, you were there for you know, eight months, and so I would hope, and I think we would all hope, that somebody who was found dead in their car, brought back to life by Narcan in a parking lot, um, would get help if they were going to be sent somewhere because they found were found behind the wheel of a car, and for you this was a DUI and not your first, uh, that they would get help. What kind of help was there for you in prison? I got to prison. I was assessed, I think, probably a week or two later and told that since I had been sober for eight months and done what I needed to do out there, that I'd do aftercare when I left again. And part of the reason I thought I was going back, I know the judge had said it was a punishment because I did break the law. But part of the reason 
I felt I was sent back was to get that treatment and to get the parenting help I may need. Um, I think that's what my parole violation reported said, you know, to get the tools she needs to be successful. And I got none of that while I was there. Do you, why not? To be fair, they started a parenting class, but then it shut down because of COVID. So I would have gotten a parenting class. But as far as treatment, they don't have any counselors there. Um, they had one counselor and a trainee for a while. And then I think they hired somebody else who left. It's a revolving door of people. You never know who you're going to see if you do manage to get one of the few chemical dis- dependency spots, mostly for meth, up there. But you just there's no staff. There's no So resource. staff shortages mm-hmm. in the prison, you think? I think that's a huge, huge thing as far as... What did you do while you were in prison sitting there? Nothing. I mean, being 100% honest, I worked in the kitchen when I was still inside the main prison for maybe three weeks before I was moved out to work release center. And I worked, I think, two days a week at a hospice cottage cleaning it out in the public and pier. But that's all I did. The other five days, I mean, there's nothing to do. I mean... Did you, were you able to use that time? I mean, I understand that the system was not giving you the help or the treatment that you needed, but were you able to, on your own, use that time to find resources, to reflect, to work a program, do any of those things, you know, kind of take, take that on for yourself? I did. I, um, I have a lot of ladies from my church who wrote me letters. In addition to the letters, they sent self-help books or parenting books um, walk closer to God books that helped me a lot as far as my faith goes and trying to realize that I can control my actions, but not others reactions. And I think that's a big part of what has hurt me for so long in my addiction is because I want to control other people and I feel the need to make everybody happy and you can't do that. And I think that was a big growth experience for me to learn that about myself. Um, as far as addiction goes, there wasn't, a lot. I mean, there was no AA meetings. There was maybe one a month once you got to a certain area, but there just wasn't a lot of recovery support in the prison unless us women, you know, put it together ourselves. And I think about 80%, if not more, of the women in prison have an addiction issue. Yeah. Even the ones that aren't there specifically on a drug charge are there because of something they did when they were high. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, not everybody that's up there, but a lot of them for theft or whatever it may be. So, okay. In an ideal world, You've got most women in prison who have, you know, substance use disorder, who have you know, been gotten in trouble because their addiction led them to do, you know, things that society doesn't want you to do. But in an ideal world, how would you treat those women? I mean, you, you walked, I mean, I can't walk in your shoes. Uh, you could be a danger to society if you're out using and doing things that are dangerous to others. Absolutely. Um, how should these women be treated differently than they are now, today? You and these other women who are there. You know, everybody's so worried that we're going to be a danger to ourselves or society, which is true. We will be if we're out there using. But, it, like, the penitentiary feels like a holding pen, just somewhere to keep us off the streets for a little while and then put us back out there, a lot of times learning worse ways to use while we're in prison and maybe picking up new drug habits. And that's frustrating to me because you're just going to make a public safety issue again when you release them without rehabilitating them. So why can't there be a different a different way? Why can't we send people to treatment, not 30 day treatment, but sentence them to like six months somewhere, you know, months of treatment. Yeah, really benefited you. That's I was thinking that exact same thing. You know how 
you know, insurance won't cover anything more than 30 days of intensive treatment. Mm -hmm. And yet we know it takes the brain 13 to 18 months to heal from powerful drugs like meth and heroin. Mm -hmm. And you've got people sitting locked up in a place, but they're not getting that intensive treatment that they need to come out as a healthy whole person. So I'm just wondering, like, it just doesn't make any sense to me that, you know, here we have this limit on if, if, if you don't commit a crime or you're not in the process of committing a crime and you seek help, you, you could get 30 days. But you go to prison and you don't even get that. No, not at all. And, and like I said, the things you learn there are way worse than some of the things you learn on the streets here. And I just, it's very frustrating because everybody has a different story. And a lot of the women I was in prison with are I believe good people with good hearts that have an addiction problem and they wouldn't have done what they did if they weren't an addict. Um, what does, what does uh, being in prison do to your self-esteem? And I know your self-esteem was already low before you went to prison because we talked about that in the last podcast. We talked about your shame and we talked about how that perpetuated your use and just having that stigma of being in prison, going to prison, having served time. How does that affect you? It, the little bit of self-esteem that I had before is basically non-existent anymore. I, my husband notices it. I'll be walking around the house and just like negative things will come out or he'll say something and I'll say, well, yeah, we should do that. And then I'll say something negative about myself. Um, when I met with you before I went to prison, I knew where I was going, but I had a better attitude than I have today. I, had, um, I was happier then than I am today, which is crazy because I'm home. But so much has happened, and so, I mean, we tried to go to marriage counseling, and we were told that we need individual therapy first because that's how messed up my head is compared to even before. I'm not saying it wasn't messed up before, but it's crazy. Do you feel now. like um, prison has been detrimental to, you're in recovery now, but yet your mental health is worse. It's a disaster. You're mm -hmm. not using, but you feel horrible. I'm and not. your relationships or have not done well? I'm not using, and I think my relationships have gone horribly um, to an extent. I know that, I don't know what I'm trying to say about that, but. Is it, and is it just the mistrust? Is it, is it the absence, the mistrust? Is it, is it how you feel about yourself? What is it that has affected your relationships negatively? It's a, a lot of it is how I feel about myself, whereas um, I hide my body from my husband. You know, I feel the shame again because I used to be so heavy in their skin. I don't, I'm not as open as I used to be. Uh, I don't trust him and he doesn't trust me in some areas. So when trust leaves, mm -hmm. it's really hard to rebuild any relationship. It's, it's almost impossible. And it sounds like even your four-year-old has a trust issue with you. He does. Even a child. So your husband and your son don't know or at least to this point time has not healed the problem enough for them to regain that trust I don't think so um and that has to be frustrating for you it is frustrating because I work really hard every day to stay sober to stay the way I am to try to be a good wife and mom and I fail miserably some days well we all do <laughs> but um we all fail a lot of times <laughs> multiple times a day yeah I just, I wish, 
how do I explain it? Like with Sam even, he will be fine some days. And then other days when I take the trash out, he will scream before I even get back in because he thinks I'm gone. And if I'm a little bit late coming home from anywhere I'm at, he'll be, Greg, where's mommy? Is she, is she going to go away? Is she going to go away? And he'll have moments like that to where it's just, it's miserable for him. And he's really close to his dad, which I'm glad he's close to his dad. But it's like him and Greg won't go all in to this relationship with me right now. It's like they're holding back. And maybe it's too much to expect for them to do that after I, everything. I think so. And, you know. I mean, there, it's a protective reaction for them, right? I believe, yeah, I absolutely believe so because I have some of the same issues because of, you know, mistakes that Greg may have made while I was away. Nothing where he broke the law or right. used drugs, but there was, I mean, the cause of the mistrust there. And I can't probably fully go in either. So a lot of it is a really big lack of communication in our house, and it's just not easy. What do you think would help the most in a situation like yours? so that you could rebuild your life and stay in recovery? I think a lot of it will help. We're moving right now, as I told you, and I think a lot of that will help because of kind of what happened while I was away. So you're, you're just, you're getting a change of scenery. Change of scenery, different neighbors. But still, um, you're still the same people. We're still, yeah, and that's, that's concerning. <laughs> we're both very different. Um, but is there something do you that think... Will help? In your whole situation, going back to maybe the first time you were sent to prison, how could it have been handled? How could your disease of the brain, addiction, which led you to do things that were illegal, how could that have been approached differently, do you think? I think that the first time I went to prison, I wasn't there for very long. And I was a lot fresher out of my addiction than I was this last time when I went because I was eight months sober I think last time um I think that if they would have when I got detained after I used they put me up at the prison to have room at the glory house to where I went through a halfway house and I have been sober since I think if they would take more care even releasing people from prison they put me in aftercare the first time and I needed some more intense treatment than that, obviously, because I overdosed a month after leaving. I think that would have been a big help if they look at doing more of that upon release, depending on your length of sobriety. I also, I know you can't change it, but I have a problem with the legal system to an extent because I realized I was there because I broke the law, and that's why a judge got to sentence me, not anything she did wrong. Well, but, you were also, you were in DUI court, which is supposed to be a better path, right? Yes. So uh, drug court or DUI court, it's supposed to be a chance for you to, you know, get support, get help, be accountable, so you don't have to go to prison. Mm-hmm. But that didn't work in your case. No, it worked for a long time until, you know, I think we talked about it. I had a couple of surgeries and relapsed, and then I started right, lying. The surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... That's in episode se- uh, 17 <laughs> for folks who want to go back and listen to that. And I understand that they gave me that chance in DUI court, and I failed it. So then I went to prison the first time, and I got out, overdosed, and picked up a DUI and violated my parole. And at that point, I'm not sure they knew what to do with me either. So I did get detained. I went to the Glory House. I, you know, CPS got involved in a safety plan, and I figured out how to stay sober. Mainly, I think adding the God piece to my life was how, but like, I just don't understand the point, other than punishment, if that has to be how it is, of sending somebody to prison eight months sober who's done all the treatment that they're supposed to do already, and then, you know, CPS closes your case. I understand there's punishment involved, but 
with as far back as I've gone since then, is it really appropriate to send people who maybe gotten the treatment before they go, you know, up there, back up there just to feel like I feel today? I don't know what would help and what wouldn't help, but I think they should take a look at all of those factors instead of just following this strict sentence guideline because everybody's different. Maybe some people do need to go up there and find the treatment, but without treatment, there's no, I don't understand why we prison, need, we need it's treatment. This. It's not the Department of Corrections. They're not correcting anything while we're there, I don't feel. Right. You need treatment while you're in prison and aftercare mm-hmm. when you get out. Yes. Right. And the chance, the chance for courts like DUI and drug court are, are good things. It's a good thing. They're, it's a good yeah. thing. And they, they can be very successful. But when they don't work, I just think that we as a society aren't willing to put the resources. It probably has to mostly do with money. But then if you think about what, you know, reoffending costs society, mm-hmm. what multiple offenses and multiple prison terms cost society, if we would were to look at it that way and put more money into treatment and counseling and just giving you the support, like what kind of support do you have after you get out of prison? And I'm not talking about from your family. I'm talking about from the state. I have a good parole officer in mm-hmm. that um, sense. Um, she keeps me on my toes. She keeps me accountable at Especially in the beginning, I would not be using, but I'd maybe skip an appointment. Not skip, but I'd reschedule it because I thought I had something more important. Or I'd put her on the back burner. And she gave me like a few chances with that. And then she said, what, who do you think you are, basically? You know, what are you doing? You know, just because you're not using doesn't mean you can just run off and, or I, I can't remember exactly how the conversation went. But, you know, she kind of scolded me for it. And I think that she's been a big help to me. Uh, she's always there if I need her. Tells me I can text, call if I need a drug patch, if I feel like I'm going to use. She, that's the one piece that has been good is parole. And it's always been that way for me. I think that um, as far as support from the state, other than that, I don't, there is none. Well, it's great that you have a parole officer mm-hmm. who you feel has your best interest in mind and, and helps hold you accountable because you probably need at least one outside force, if not more, to mm-hmm. hold you accountable, right? Um, I don't think it hurts anything, you know, at all, because... Right. And so so tell me, like, I mean, the one thing I do want to know, we first started talking back in 2019, and I did a couple of uh, television stories on mm-hmm. you and what you were going through and what this was like, and uh, we talked on this podcast. What has that attention to your story been like, and then why did you want to come back and, and revisit with me now? For the most part, I've gotten nothing but positive, you know, feedback on that story. And people approached me, especially early on once in a while, and said, thanks, you know, you helped me understand my daughter, one lady, I'll never forget her at hy Or, you know, people run into me at the gas station and say, oh, you know, I'm glad to see you, you're doing good. And that surprised me. It was probably two weeks ago when somebody ran into me at a gas station in town and asked me if I was Jessica Powell. And he has a daughter that struggles like I do. It's opened up a lot of things for me, even within my church. There's people that have family members that are struggling. Everybody's got a skeleton, and they feel well, better. I wouldn't at- call it so much a skeleton as that addiction is in every family somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it is. In- yeah. yeah. And people, I think they're so afraid of the stigma that comes with it that yeah, they're afraid you, to talk to you. Do feel you've been stigmatized after going public with your story? Oh, yes. I don't think it was so much going public with my story as just the fact that... You're stigmatized because of your history. My felonies and my my history, my, yeah, my Let's background. Let's talk about how that stigma plays out because it plays out in very real ways. Mm-hmm. You have a felony record due to addiction, and that means 
you can't rent an apartment. Sometimes you can't get a job. We've been very lucky as far as apartments go. Um, I we rent. We rented a fourplex from a guy I went to school with, and now. And he knew your history. Wasn't he knew my history, and now. But knew you. But mm-hmm. if you're just going to go try to oh. rent. You have to get lucky. You have to know somebody who knows somebody who might accept a felon, and then it depends on what the felony's for. I know when Greg and I were looking, people were willing to work with him because he graduated DUI court, but I hadn't, so they turned us away. Uh, jobs are even worse. I don't know how many applications I've put out right, since Right now June. you're between jobs. I am. I um, When I came back, I went back to the hotel because I couldn't find anything else, and you know I worked at the hotel for a few months and then I went to a different company in town here and food service and I just probably aren't meant to work together and that didn't work out so well and I went back to a hotel and there's no hours because of COVID and everything. Oh sure that's right hotels are not busy. No so they're laying people off and now I have an application in and a job that I would really like to have and you know the store manager will go to bat for me when it comes to my background which isn't complete yet but I did get a letter through email that kind of leads me to believe that it's going to cost me another job. And that's been the case for so many jobs I've applied for. I'll get hired, and then the background won't pass because of the DUI, the drug charge, or the petty theft because I ran out on a bar tab one night, you know? When you were using. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's pretty typical for a lot of people. There's th- There are those kinds of crimes on their record. There are, but th- I think... Nobody realizes how bad it destroys your ability to even feel good about yourself and have a decent job. Um, Right, because how are you supposed to maintain sobriety when it's difficult for you to do anything in society? Find a place to live, work, uh, have those accomplishments that you can, you know, that self-esteem can can come through accomplishments at work. I mean, what, what is someone supposed to do who struggle with addiction, who faces the constant backlash from their past. I haven't figured that out. Um, I have no idea. I'm so depressed some days. I'm negative some days. I don't feel like I'm worth anything because I can't find a job. When you go to an employer that, several employers that can't take a chance on you because of your background, you wonder some days why you're even still here. Like what is your purpose anymore? And maybe that's the negativity coming out again. I mean, I know I'm a mother and a wife, and I want a different, I don't want to overdose and die, you know, and leave Sam, but how do you explain that as he gets older, too, that, you know, mommy can't find a good job, or we can't move here because I did this back then, and it's just... That will follow you, follow you around for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. Everybody says felonies go away after three years or after you're off paper, but they never go away. <laughs> And that's very frustrating because you always feel like you're climbing an uphill battle and you feel like you can't get anywhere in life. You feel like you're being judged. I don't know how anybody gets through it at all if they have no support. I have right. If you were on your own without the support of your husband and your family, your parents and your church. Mm-hmm. I would. I'm sure I'd be using her dead or on the streets. There's no way that I could support myself with what I've made since I got out. There's not, I mean, there's not a chance I could even consider supporting Sam on that. And it's just, I understand. It's taken taken away your ability to to support yourself and your child. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful that Greg has a good job. I'm grateful that his income can mostly do it. You know, I'm grateful for my church, the people that have helped and donated, and anonymous people that put tires on our car. You know, 
all of those people are amazing, but it doesn't change the self-esteem that I have that I can't do it because for myself. Because you could be self-reliant, self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. You could be. There's no reason why you can't work. No, and there are great companies that will work with felons, but I'm 40 years old, too, and some of those things I'm not strong enough to do and not probably never was. I mean, being a woman, you know, some of the manufacturing jobs. Oh, or you're talking yeah. about labor type jobs. Yeah, and yeah. it's just, it's really hard for, I think, it's hard for any felon, but I think it's even harder if you're a woman that has a felony. Uh-huh. I, I could see that. I understand what you're talking about. So what, 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 what do you want people to know? I mean, there's a reason why, you know, I mean, you reached out to me to kind of tell me things are not going so great after prison. I mean, I am in recovery. I am sober, you said. Mm-hmm. But the rest of my life just does not feel great. It, no, it doesn't. I... I've always been a person that's a little bit late or last minute, but I can't get anywhere on time anymore. I can't, I never feel like I'm put together. I'm always anxious. I'm always looking over my shoulder. I'm, I'm just afraid that I'm going to have one bad day and everything's going to be lost again. I'm afraid to give everything. And I don't know how to make some of this anxiety and the fears that I have go away. And it makes living life, almost impossible. I'm so short sometimes. I got very independent when I was in prison. I had nobody. And my husband did too. And some days we don't even know how to talk to each other without hurting each other. And that by hurting each other, I mean, he could say something totally innocent. And I take it the wrong way all the time because I'm always negative. And I just want my life back. A lot of people will tell me that I look good, but I don't have that sparkle in my eye anymore. And they just look kind of there. Even Greg will say they look dead sometimes. It's I don't feel happiness or joy a whole lot. And people look at me funny and they're like, your prison sentence is behind you. You should be happy. But it's not that easy. I mean, I don't, I, I'm not outgoing or bubbly like I used to be. I used to spend a couple hours at my parents' house an afternoon here or there. And I don't spend hardly any time there. And I spend a lot of time at home. And I think a lot of it's the shame and the guilt that I feel and the fact that I just don't feel like I'm worth a lot some days. Right. I think that after what you've been through, I think those are perfectly normal feelings, you know, for that any human being would have because you blame yourself for a lot of it. I do. And I came so far in prison with the self-studies and with, you know, realizing that I can't blame myself for everything or everybody else's actions, too. And then when I got out, it was, I mean... Granted, like if a lot happened while I was gone that I didn't really, I didn't know all about it. But well, those thing, things were out of your control. Yeah, they were out of my control. But I, did, you know, dealing with those, I would have been able to deal with them in prison because I dealt with a lot there too, without reacting the way I did. And it just caused me to shut in and become angry. I was so angry for so many months, and I still am sometimes. That the sadness for me turns almost directly into anger, and I don't want to be an angry person. And do you think you're angry at yourself? I'm very angry at myself. Very. And can you forgive yourself? You know, I thought I had, but I haven't, and I don't know how to. Um, I thought I did, but obviously what I'm doing isn't working because I haven't been able to forgive myself because I think that I'd be a lot in a lot different place today if I could forgive myself for what I've done. But I see the devastation of it every single day at home, and it's really hard to know my part in that that I left my family and now we're trying to put it back together. And now, you know, we have things that ended up in collections that wouldn't have ended up there 
you know, everything just kind of falls apart. You know, Greg supporting Sam out here, himself, myself in prison, and it takes a toll on people, and we age a lot, and we're just... I see the tears, you know, coming down your face here, and I feel really horrible for you, and I'm also concerned. Will these feelings, you know, of worthlessness, of blame and anger... And the difficulties in your relationship since coming out of prison, are you worried that they will cause you to relapse? Everybody, I think, if you're being honest as an addict, everybody's worried that there could be another relapse or you just hope that you can Something hold it Something to feel better, you know? I mean, yeah. that would be the whole reason, right? To use again. It would, but the thing is at the end there, I wasn't feeling better when I was using anymore and I can remember that. And I think... I don't know if something has finally like clicked in my brain to where I can see consequences before I do things. Because don't get me wrong, there's been a time or two where I'd be like, I don't want to feel today. And if I go find this, I don't have to feel these emotions. But it's worse to not feel them than to feel them. I like to be able to cry when I'm sad and laugh when I'm happy. So there's always a little bit of fear. There always will be. But I think it would take a lot for me to go back to drugs at this point. I just that's where I'm at. They so, destroy me. You know, we we can't change anything about the past and the lack of treatment mm-hmm. in prison. What you didn't get, what you needed, or even you know, very serious, intense aftercare after prison probably would have been helpful. But some of these things now, moving forward, you, you know, you you have the challenges of trying to find a job or possibly a place to live and challenges within your relationships with those closest to you because trust has been broken. Mm-hmm. And how, how will you go forward from here? By not isolating, by continuing to reach out, you know, do the counseling, the marriage counseling, um, continue to our fellowship groups at church, the things that we're doing with people that are sober and, you know, good people to be around. I think that that is something that reminds me. But you also asked me why I come back and how the story has affected me. And I think that there's a little piece of what I do here that holds me accountable to because there are different people that approach me or that may have looked up to me and I don't want to be the person that lets them down. So I think I think it just helps me to stay sober even more to have that other piece. I like to help. I want to change how things are. I don't want... You know, I don't want my son, if he ends up in the system, I don't want him to not get help he needs. I think it's, I think the laws need to change. I think that there needs to be a better way because you're not rehabilitating anybody. You're not, it's public safety for a little while while we're gone. I just, I'd like to see a lot of things change and I don't understand why people can't see that. I know maybe if you're not an addict, you don't get it, but I just don't understand why people can't see that. Or maybe they do and it's a financial thing. I don't know. Right. Oftentimes change is slow to come. Mm-hmm. especially societal change. First, we have to change hearts and minds of how people think about the disease of addiction. And then we have to try to, I always say, you know, instead of, it's been one of my favorite sayings that I say to audiences all over the place when I go speak, you know, we need to replace judgment with compassion and punishment with treatment. And not that somebody maybe doesn't need to be isolated for a while mm-hmm. from society or, you know, whatever because it takes time to overcome the addiction it takes time for the brain to heal and i think it's really hard 
to overcome your addiction and take the time you need for yourself to do that if you're not isolated. So I agree. You right, but I to can't, not not give anybody any treatment to not no, you have to have the to, to not um, do that is just it just seems sickening to me. Do they not care about us? I mean, that is that how? I think that helps. Or it hurts me as far as my self-esteem, too, because I feel like I'm so worthless that the system can't even give me a chance to go through treatment again. And I know I had chances, but a lot of people well, don't have chances when they get there, and they don't get treatment either. So what about them? And sometimes, you know, unfortunately, I wish there was an easy roadmap for treatment for addiction, and often it takes multiple, mm-hmm. you know, um, times in treatment and, and relapse as a part of this disease that nobody... I don't think who experiences it can really understand completely. I'm, I'm not saying I can understand it completely, but it's it's just so stigmatized. Like you should be okay. Like you know, you had your chance, you got some treatment, or you took this class or whatever, and now you're supposed to be fixed and cured. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. Not at all. I mean, it can take one little thing. You know, maybe part of your sobriety plan is that you go to counseling or you. Like I had a Sabisa class when I got out and I did okay through that class and the aftercare for that. But then when I lost that support, I realized that I started to get more negative. I think that um, it's really hard. It's just. Because you can take responsibility for your recovery, but there's very little you can do if, if you can't afford counseling or treatment or can't, don't have access to it. And also, if you if you can't, you want to be self sufficient, but you can't get that job, and that's hard too because, like you said, we need that counseling, or I do, and where we're at right now with that is I don't have health insurance because I can't find a job that will hire me where I can get it, and it's so expensive through my husband's work. There's no way we could survive if he put me on the insurance. Also, so individual counseling, even with no income, is still a sliding scale sixty five dollars a session. I mean, where do you come up with that if? You're by on your own, and you can't find a job, and it's a catch twenty two. Yeah, everything catch twenty two. Everything just continues to fail, and you just you you lose one piece of that. I mean, what I was saying earlier, you lose one piece of what keeps you sober, and you're right back out there, and nobody understands that. If I mean, well, nobody. If you're not an addict, it's hard to understand that. You know, I get that, but I'm just there's so many ways that we could do things so much differently that would benefit not just addicts but the people that we hurt when we go into our active addiction or the people that love us the most well and and clearly you know mental health issues and addiction and in your mental health issues go back i mean they go far Mm -hmm. far back and i don't know that you've ever really received adequate treatment for that in you know in the last episode you talked about the trauma that you experienced as a young child you know, the overeating, the addiction to food, which Mm -hmm. eventually, you know, after the gastric bypass, transferred to pills, and and we've talked about that. But where along the way has your mental health ever been truly addressed? Uh, Very briefly, like in DUI court, they do address your mental health, and I did go to counseling, but a lot of what we talked about there was more substance-related, and they do get into it a little bit, like, Well, they go hand in hand, don't you you agree? Yes. The use Mm -hmm. has to do with the... Definitely the early trauma in your mm-hmm. life. I believe so. And so we're not treating addiction in prison. We're also not treating mental health. No. Because you the have two to go be, hand in hand. They do go hand in hand. And in order to get, you can see mental health in maybe two or three months. They'll tell you if you're going to be there for like seven or eight months, you can go ahead and see the psychiatrist because they might be able to get you medications if you need them. But then 
I mean, there's no immediate mental health in prison unless you are basically threatening to commit suicide, and then they'll find you somebody. And that's frustrating, too, because they don't address anything that causes us to be where we're at anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, the system definitely needs an overhaul when it comes to treatment of addiction. And society in general, I don't know how long, you know, it's just, it's, 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 I can feel your frustration about the job issue because you want to work so badly and it's not like you're trying not to work. Right. Um, And it's just so unfortunate that that black mark on your record follows you around like a dark shadow, right? It does. It's just, it makes you believe that everybody for the rest of your life is going to judge you on a piece of paper that they have in front of them when they have no idea who I am. That piece of paper says I'm an awful person who stole things, um, who harassed somebody when I was drunk one night on the phone and, you know, who has six DUIs and a possession charge and a probation violation. But all of that happened because I was in active use then. That's not even close to the person that I am today. And it's frustrating because... What's well, never be fair. who you really were. No, and I can see both sides. I can see why a company looks at that and goes, oh, I can't take that risk. But where's the happy medium? Because we're just going to continue to drain resources if we're not able to get employed. And, you know, and we're going to continue to cost money instead of... Cost more in the long run. Yeah. Right. right. Well, I, I just, I wish you the best. And I hope that your life gets a little better and a little easier as time goes on and and your husband and your son, and you all regain that trust of one another. I think that's probably the biggest thing that is uh, upsetting to all of you right now. And I'm I'm sorry, you know, for these struggles that you have. I'm also proud of you that you've stayed in recovery. And that's really saying something. And I think you need to recognize how great that is as well and, and give yourself some credit for that. Thanks. And I do agree, I- I, I would, I will give myself some credit for staying sober, but in addition, I couldn't do it without God. I mean, and the reason I say that is because my marriage would have, we would have already divorced if we weren't believers. I know that for certain because of everything that's happened. And even Sam, you know, he knows, and we teach him about, you know, God and Jesus and pray at night. And I think that that's helped him t- to get a little bit better. You know, things are awful, but they're not as bad as they were maybe three months ago. So I feel Hopeful. 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 I'm not sitting here and, you know, I know a lot of this is negative and I'm not sitting here saying I don't have any hope. Um, But I think that's, as long as I keep that as a driving force, I'll stay sober and I just have to believe and have faith that things will continue to get better as time goes on. That's all I can do today. So you find that hope in your faith Mm -hmm. and in God. I do. That's without that. I can't even, I'm sure I would not be alive. And I think these issues that we're talking about are very important to talk about treatment in prison, what happens when you get out. These are things that, that I'm, I'm so grateful that, that you're willing to speak out about. So thank you. You're welcome. There's so many women up there that are sitting up there that need the same thing that I needed while I was there that are waiting for their release. And it, there's just, it's a disservice to leave us sitting up there doing nothing and to improve ourselves. It's just, I, I agree. It's an important issue and I appreciate the time that you took to have me here today. Well, thank you for being so open with your story, Jessica. You are welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this latest edition of Grieving Out Loud. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider giving a positive review. Wishing you faith, hope, and courage.